The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you all this morning. And it's a holiday weekend, so the remnant is here. Praise be to God. And you guys don't need to hear this because you've already heard it once, but I just want to remind you, the picnic with East Side, I mean, sorry, East Side, North Side, maybe I need to hear it again, right? With North Side, next week, following church, they're going to supply the fried chicken, uh, maybe bring some, a few dollars to help them out with that, bring a side, bring a chair, we're going to meet afterwards outside, we're going to have a fellowship there's nothing like good fried chicken after church on Sunday, which I shouldn't be mentioning right now. We're going we're gonna to take a picture, so you don't want to miss out being in the picture. And we want to express our gratitude and give God thanks and praise. I don't know if you know this, uh, I, I actually, most people don't care about history, I care a little bit about history. But uh, Churches of Christ and Independent Christian Church were at one time one church in history. And about 100 years ago, we split up. And so as soon as I heard way back over two years ago that we were going to come to this place, I thought, huh, look what God is doing. So I give God thanks and praise particularly for their hospitality to us and the way they blessed us. And we just pray that perhaps we were at least a smidgen of a blessing back to them. So be here to celebrate with us and to give thanks next Sunday. Our text this morning is Psalm 124 that we just sung. This is the word of the Lord. If the Lord had not been our side... Let's say it together, church. If the Lord had not been our side, when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken. And we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. God, for your word, we give you thanks. Give us ears to hear a new orientation to the world. Give us hearts to follow that newness. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching to proclaim your goodness and your newness this day. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, who has given us a new orientation to life that we pray. Amen. So Brett and I have been preaching in the Psalms and the seasons of life. And the Psalms kind of work like your, could be like your iPod when you scroll down to your favorite artist and you hit shuffle. And you never know what you're going to get. And so we've talked about there's psalms of orientation, 
where we talk about how God's created the world and it's good and nature's good and things are going well and we experience those things in our life. You know those times that are good when the world is just right and you don't want it to end. But there's also psalms that shuffle through on our iPod that are psalms of disorientation. And they match our own experience in life when things aren't going well. And there was extreme disorientation in our life. And we wish we could just go back or get out of it as quickly as possible. But today on the iPod of, of the psalmist, what pops up today is a song of, psalm of new orientation. And this new orientation, these types of psalms are revelatory. They're meant to be revelation for us. It's as if the psalmist has an experience and now he sees the world in a way that he would not have seen it before because of primarily what God has done in the world. And so we read the psalm today and we hear his voice. If it had not been the Lord. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. When people attacked us, when the enemy attacked us, they would have just devoured us like an animal. The waters would have just swept us away. And like a hunter that sets a trap for its prey, we had no idea it was there. And it got us. In fact, he uses these images like an animal or a monster. He says, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, their anger would have devoured us like an animal. We used to take... (coughs) Excuse me. We used to take safaris when we lived in Uganda. If you live in Africa, you've got to go on safari. In fact... If you ever go with me to Africa, and you're welcome to go, we we go every few years, uh, I have no problem taking mission trips and scheduling a safari in because I'm I'm pretty much convinced that if you're going to go all the way to Africa, how could you not go on a safari? And I thought for sure I'd get some amens on that one, but I don't know what's wrong with you. There you go. Amen. Amen. Now everybody wants to go to Africa, right? But we used to take interns they would come for six to eight weeks uh, and do an internship with us, and we'd take them on safari. And so one time, we were in Queen Elizabeth National Park, a beautiful park in southwest Uganda. And what we would do, I had uh, an SUV, I had a vehicle. It was a, um, it was a vehicle that had a roof, roof rack on it. So to go on safari, you know, if you hired a vehicle, they usually have those pop-up roofs so that you could stand up and get a better view. But what we would do is we'd get a bunch of cushions and we'd put cushions up on the roof rack because it wasn't comfortable riding on the roof rack without any cushions. We'd put the cushions up there and we'd have, I'd drive around and have interns or whoever's with us sit on top. That way you got a really good view, right? Don't judge me yet. You haven't even heard the story. And it just so happens we were looking for lions. And lions hide in tall grass. Well, we didn't intend to get this close, but at one point I'm driving, 
and I kind of go off-road, which you're not supposed to do, but you kind of go off-road, and then all of a sudden we drive, and probably from me to Rod, about five yards, a male lion's head flying down, its head pops up out of the grass. And the interns yell, there's a lion, stop! And so I stop for just a minute, and my first reaction is this just amazement, because when you see these animals, you're just in awe. And then I realized the lion is literally sitting outside my window, and I've got like seven college students on the roof. (laughs) And I think, that lion's probably not going to do anything, because it just laid back down. But one small leap. And he could have devoured whoever he wanted on top of that roof. The text uses an image of water that could have been, that could sweep us away. I remember being in Oregon, and I went out and swam in the Pacific Ocean uh, one summer. You can only swim in the summer. The water's freezing cold, even in the summer. But I went quite a ways out where I couldn't touch, and I found myself you know, you don't have much orientation when you're out there as you look back on land. And I found myself kind of down the beach a little bit from where I'd been. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I better swim back. So I started swimming back in the direction that I came from, only to realize I wasn't getting anywhere. And I was exhausted, like to the point where I started getting nervous. And what I didn't realize is that I was in a rip current, and luckily that rip current was going sideways and not out to sea. Until finally I figured it out when I was almost drowning from exhaustion and decided to swim with the current, and I probably ended up a half mile down the beach, laying on my back totally exhausted. The water almost engulfed me. It also uses this image of being caught in a hunter's trap. Remember also another time in Uganda. I had interns with me and I was driving down the road. And probably the most dangerous things, the dangerous part of living in in Uganda was not wild animals. Although you could see those. It was driving, to be honest with you. And I remember coming up, and I was, we were all very careful when we drove, because we knew it was a dangerous thing. And I remember coming up over a hill, and there are these taxis, right, that, that's a two-lane road, and it's not marked very well. But these taxis pull over really quick to pick up people along the road. Well, this taxi kind of pulled over, but he's still halfway out in the middle of the road. And when I come up over the hill, I'm going pretty fast, normal speed for this road, and I notice this taxi's out in the middle of the road, and I don't really have time to stop, so I swerve around, and by the time I swerve around to the middle to avoid, this semi-truck's coming from the other side. And now I'm at a point, and there's really nothing I could have done. There's no way I could have stopped. There's nothing else I could have done. Either I'm going to rear-end this taxi, or I'm going to take my chances. And I literally remember going past the taxi as the semi passed at the same time 
and I did this. And we came out fine. The snare was broken and we escaped. And there's nothing I could have done differently. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. When people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us and the torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken. And we have escaped. If it had not been the Lord who's on our side. This text this morning is unequivocally about God. This text is not about you and what you can do. This text is about God. But I think it's important to say that because I think one of the ways things that we learn about God in this text, in a very indirect way, is that I think it's important for us to understand, as people who live in America and Western culture, and I'll explain that in a minute, what I mean by that. I think in order to understand what we learn about God, indirectly, this text teaches us something about who we are. And it teaches something about who we are that we could fully understand what this text is saying about. And here's what I mean by that. We imagine the world we live in, we imagine that we're in control. And it's not even hard to imagine that, really. In fact, you're taught to think that way. You're taught to believe that, that you're in control, that it really depends on you. But this text, what it affirms indirectly is to say, you are not in control. In fact, what this text says about you and the world and God is that to be human is to be a vulnerable creature. Vulnerable in the sense that you could be harmed, hurt, swallowed, swept away, and destroyed. And that's not an easy thing to admit because we don't believe that we're not in control. Now, there are some problems that we do create for ourselves. There are plenty of times in life in which we're responsible for the problems we're encountering. And we are the cause of our own pain. And we are at fault. Like, for example, I'm not going to name any names, but... When you forget the anniversary of your marriage, that might cause you some pain and suffering. Guys, I don't have to name any names because I'm sure every guy in this room that's married has done that maybe once. Even if they, didn't, even if they got away with it. But Psalms 124 Here's what it says about the world. 
There was no other option. There is no illusion of control. There is no doubt about how this outcome was produced. The anger of the enemy would devour us. We'd be swept away like a, like a water, like a flood. We'd be caught in the hunter's snare, not suspecting it was there, not having any strategy to avoid it, not having any power to get out of it on our own. There are powers and people at work that we cannot control or overcome. This text says, you are not in control. And this text, actually, if talking about Uganda, it preached a lot better in Uganda. Because this is what my Ugandan brothers and sisters taught me. They knew they weren't in control. And believe me, that was maddening at times for me. Because I've grown up in a culture, and I've said this before, where Nike has named it for me. Just do it. Whatever it is, you just do it. You can do it. You can master it. You can conquer it. Whatever it is, you just do it. And there wasn't a day that went by in Uganda where I didn't hear these words from someone. But what can I do? But you could see why it would drive you crazy, right? It would drive me crazy. But I learned something. They knew they weren't in control. And they had no illusions about what they were up against. And they also had no illusions about who ultimately had control. What I learned in Uganda is that faith in the United States is difficult. Ugandans know they're not in control. It's not hard for them to believe that God is. Their life depends on it. And by the way, so does yours, and so does mine. They also know that they have real enemies. They know that people are against them. There's people who are jealous. There's people out to destroy them. So they can benefit from their downfall. And I know many of you may experience this and feel like and know that you have enemies. But I'm going to be quite honest with you. There's most of my life, I don't feel like I have too many enemies. My son Eli, I, we've talked about this this past year. He knows he has enemies. And it's his seventh grade social studies teacher. That's who his enemy is. All the youth group wakes up now. <laughs> Both my boys go to different schools and they walked out on the last day of school and they raised their hands and they went, Freedom! <laughs> yeah, that's it. Because all the seventh grade boys are your enemy. <laughs> So I asked Eli last night if I could have permission to tell this story. And I said, Eli, is it okay if I share the story that your seventh grade social studies, you consider your seventh grade social studies teacher as your enemy? He just looked down and he goes, shook his head like this, no. And I thought, uh-oh, he doesn't want me to tell that story. 
He goes, Dad, it's not my seventh grade social, stu- social studies teacher anymore. It's my seventh grade science teacher. <laughs> so evidently, it switched. It was the social studies teacher, now it's the science teacher. Now, many of you may have experienced enemies, but I, and I know I've had enemies, and I know I have them, but really, my sense of not having any real enemies is probably more to do with my own, my own privileged life and the ways that I think I have control in order, to own, in order to order my life in such a way that my enemies aren't any real threat to me. Do you hear that? That we control and order our lives in such a way is that we don't, even if we have enemies, we don't really feel their threats because we've put ourselves in such a privileged position that even if they didn't like us, it's not going to really hurt us. Now, this is not a case to go out and make enemies. It's more of, more of me talking about my illusions of control, that I think I can secure my own life that I I think I can secure myself from all threats, that I think I can make my life safe. And if we think that we are in control, there will come a time in life that will force us to confess if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. There will come a time in life when you're keenly aware that you are human. And to be human is to be vulnerable. To be human is not to be invincible, but to know that your life is always contingent on something or particularly someone outside of yourself. It is to fully know that you can be devoured and swallowed and swept away. To be susceptible to being caught by traps that we're not aware of, but are intended to destroy us. This is how the psalmist sees the world. And it may make you uncomfortable that the psalmist sees the world this way, but this, this is the world that God gives us today. He says this is how we see it. But he doesn't leave us just with being devoured and swept away and caught in traps. We are not helpless because our enemies, they don't realize how the, work, the world works either. In fact, we're not the only ones that think we're in control of our own life. It's the enemies in this story that think they're in control. They believe, like us, that they can control the world. They believe that they can manipulate, that they can attack others in order to secure their own future. But they don't understand how the world works. They don't understand that their power, their control, their tactics, their passive behavior or their passive aggressive behavior. Their ability to diminish you and I so that they can secure their own future. They don't understand that's not how the world works according to God. The if, if the Lord had not been on our side. The if, at the beginning of the psalmist, when he sings in the opening line, is not to entertain the option that our enemies can devour you or sweep you away like a flood or trap you like a hunter. But the if 
is to, is to fully, fully confess that God is faithful if it is not the Lord, if the Lord had not been with us. This is a testimony to God's faithfulness that he is Emmanuel God, that God is with you even when the lion seeks to devour you. Even when all the floodwaters and the rip currents take you from places to places you don't want to be. Even when the hunter's trap has been set for you. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. So even our enemies don't understand how the world works. Because they think they can secure their own lives through control as well. And it makes me think how oftentimes I'm not the one saying, if it had not been you who's on my side, the enemy. But rather, someone says that, and I'm actually the enemy. Because I don't understand how the world works according to God. And the way that it talks about God in this text, he says, God is our help. That's how it describes God. And to profess that God is our fundamental help means to profess that we are not sufficient to create or secure our own futures. In short, this is what it means. You and I need help. I know that sounds simple. But I think for us, not just us in this church, but for our culture, that's an incredibly profound statement. The psalmist says, you need help. Discipleship really begins with the profession that we owe our very lives to God. It begins with the confession, I need help. We tell college students, I teach a course for seniors Um, it's a Bible, theology, philosophy class. And I tell seniors, I said, you, you guys live in a really tough spot. In fact, we all live in this same spot. But I say, because this is what we do at OC. And we're just a reflection of our own, maybe even church and culture. Is that we implore students, trust God, have faith. He's going to take care of you. And then out of the next breath, we said, hey, you better get your stuff together. Because if you don't do this, this, and this, you're never going to get a job and be secure. And I asked them, I said, do you feel that tension? Between trust God with everything, and then I've got to get everything done. And they all, like some of you are doing, they all go, oh yeah. We've never thought about that, but yeah. Those two things are said constantly to us. And while we want students to be responsible and do things, we live in that tension. But I think as we grow older and we actually experience these moments where you know you are not in control. And your only response at the end of it when you've come out on the other side is, if it had not been the Lord who's on my side. And so I think discipleship 
Being a follower of Jesus, being a follower of this God, is to do what the psalmist does, is to move from this moment where you realize, you have this moment where you go, I'm not in control. Had it not been the Lord on our side, we would have been crushed. We would have been swept away. We would have been devoured. We would have been caught. And that you have this new orientation to life. To where perhaps you begin by waking up every morning. And you make the words of the psalmist in Psalm 121 your own words. Psalm 121 says this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, He who watches over Israel, God's people, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Maybe a disciple wakes up in the morning and begins with those words. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Ah, I need help. My help comes from the Lord, creator of heaven. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people attack us, We would have been swallowed alive. But our help is in the name of the Lord. When people are jealous of you and envy and cause havoc in your life, our help is in the name of the Lord. When people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of false things about you, say it with me, our help is in the name. When people intend to hurt you physically or emotionally, say it with me, our help is in the name of the Lord. When they take your job away and your security, say it with me, our help is in the name of the Lord. When they steal from you, when they try to rip your family apart, and all that you have worked for, our name is in the help the name of the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord. When there is no justice, when there is no peace, no security, and life seems to be hanging by a thread, say it with me, our help is in the name of the Lord. When the anger of the enemy threatens to swallow us alive, our help is in the name the floods engulf us and raging waters are all around us, our help is in the name of the Lord. When the snares have been set and there seems to be no way out, our help is in the name of the Lord. And when we realize that we are not in control, say it with me, our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Let's stay.